What makes a law firm? It's about passion, knowledge, understanding, and service. That's what defines Fluxman's. In this podcast series, we take you behind the desks of some of South Africa's smartest legal minds. Charles Anser is a corporate mergers and acquisitions lawyer specializing in the retail franchise and mining sectors and has extensive experience in advising domestic and international clients on their South African and African operations. He also has an extremely interesting office filled with little minions. I mean, not actual people who are running around doing his bidding, but the toys. It's the most interesting office so far, I think. And again, I'm going to get into trouble with all the other partners, but it, it seems... Thank you. I really enjoy the minions. I just uh, love them after seeing them in Despicable Me, and there's just something so magical. And you're not even using your children as an excuse for why you like them. No, not anymore. I've, yeah. I've come out with the minions. There we are. Well, that's brave. I mean, because lawyers, people like to have this idea that lawyers are always terribly serious. I think lawyers like the idea of being terribly serious. You know, uh, you very often you'll meet lawyers who don't want to smile in case it reveals that they don't understand what's going on. So if you're in the room and you see someone looking very serious and afraid to smile, it's either because they are really serious or they're absolutely scared, uh, terrified that they're going to be caught out. I don't know too many lawyers who ever betray that they're terrified. And so far in, in the, the, the little bit of time we've spent at this firm, it seems that people are all very much aware of and confident of their abilities. I think uh, a lot of the people, particularly in this firm, enjoy what they do mm-hmm. and enjoy the interaction with other people. So uh, lawyers are, there are a lot of very academic and... Uh, paper lawyers, Mm -hmm. but a large part of being a lawyer is solving problems for people who can't solve the problems themselves, between each other or against each other. Mm -hmm. So uh, being a lawyer requires you to have good personal skills to be successful. Did you always want to be a lawyer? No, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, (laughs) I did a lot of uh, things before I I did law. I was... uh, uh, a political lobbyist. I uh, even went. Who to did you lobby and, for? So, which evil craven industry did you? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't an industry. It was a sector group. Uh-huh. Uh, I first, my first full-time paying job was for the Democratic Party. Oh wow! So um, this was in uh, the Gauteng Legislature, and after that, I went and worked for the Jewish Board of Deputies. Uh-huh. So. It was quite interesting because in, the, in those times, uh, there was a lot of hope. It was the end of the Mandela era. There was still positivity about Mbeki and the African Renaissance. And it was before he started calling Tony Leon a chihuahua, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I think he had already called him that. <laughs> and the chihuahua was yapping along. Yeah, yeah. And I found it very interesting being in in the political lobbying role was it's not as glamorous as it's ever seen on TV and it's certainly not or as, as dark, lu- really. Not as dark yeah. and certainly not as lucrative as the, as what's coming out with the Bosasa oh. investigation. Now, if you've been lobbying for them, you would have been uh, <laughs> buying yourself a new sports car every week. Yeah, yeah, I probably would be in Brazil now with the money. But, uh, the, in those days, it was more an earnest kind of, this is what our policy concerns are, and trying to meet the various role players to see how it could work. And um, I think, fortunately, there wasn't that kind of financial element which has crept into cronyism, which, mm. I mean, it's terrible at the moment, yeah, but it is a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. 
I imagine you would have made uh, Douglas Gibson a regular interlocutor in the Gauteng legislature. Uh, so Douglas at, the, at that stage was in parliament. And okay. uh, when I was in political lobbying, because as lobbyists you go to politics is about access to resources, yeah. it was really trying to communicate to the parliamentary oversight committees and the various cabinet ministers and the executive uh, what the community's concerns were. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, things in the Middle East weren't as bleak as they are now, uh-huh. and there was a lot more communication. And I think there was an aspiration by uh, President Mandela then that South Africa could play a role in the Oslo Accords, which is now... Defunct and impossible. Yeah. Well, let's not get depressed. It's <laughs> still a baptism by fire for you, because to have that kind of experience at that time in politics in this country must have been very exciting. It was, and I, I think I was exposed to opportunities where if I was in another country, I wouldn't have been at such a young age. Mm. And it also it, uh, it, it led me to question what I really wanted to do in my life and where I wanted to go. Uh, but I realized I couldn't make profit in a non-profit environment. Yeah. So I had already had my LLB degree, so I went and did articles and just to give myself the flexibility. And I found I actually enjoyed law. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the uh, commercial transactions, the negotiations, the unlocking of value. Well, you're obviously very, very clever um, because you wouldn't have done any of these things if you weren't. But, I mean, there's even more going on behind the scenes before we get to the law. You wrote a sitcom? Yes. So that was also part of my refugee status from law. Uh, There was a (laughs) stand-up comic, Gary Wolf, who's now in San Diego, and he had been approached by Bobby Heaney. Productions, uh-huh. and we were commissioned. This was before the free-to-air channel came in, before ETV was selected. Right. And there were various groups that were bidding and needed to fill local content. So we wrote the pilot, and I think twelve episodes, the first season. And sadly, it was never picked up because the group we were with uh, didn't, didn't get, get their license. License. There was talk at that stage. Uh, Third Rock from the Sun was um, being produced, I think it was Warner Brothers, and they were going to be the international affiliate. And it was all quite exciting that we were going to go to the, those studios and yeah. learn some of the tradecraft there. So who's got the rights to this brilliant sitcom now? Um, I don't know if Bobby Heaney does, but I'll tell you a very interesting <laughs> story. Is that a few people we shared the sitcom with, uh, about two years later, called, and there was a show on ETV saying, Congrats. Why didn't you tell us your show has been on? Now, I don't want to name names. Oh, wow. But Plagiarism, uh, huh? Uh, you know, you thought with an LLB degree, yeah, uh, you're you not going to be You would have protected yourself. But no. no. We, I mean, it, it was a lot of plagiarism. Uh, Gary was in his Cape Town phase. And when we spoke to each other about perhaps taking them on because the producer of that show was one of the people who we pitched the oh, our sitcom no. to. Uh, he, he was, as I say, in his Cape Town phase, and he was going, like, if that's the way, the path you want to go down, Brew, I don't want to take it. So, you know, we just left it as a life lesson. Wow. So even lawyers sometimes have stuff stolen from them, and there's nothing they can do. Definitely. Well, I wasn't a lawyer at that stage, and no. it shows you the difference between having the degree from varsity and learning the practicalities. Well, learning the practicalities, um, because there's, there's lots of other colorful outside stuff we can get to, but learning those practicalities obviously helps you then to advise all your clients. 
Um, you must have dealt with some very big cases and, and some very controversial or difficult cases, and I'm sure you do every day. Um, what for you is the, is the most satisfying aspect of practicing law? I think the most satisfying is when you've solved a problem for a person. Uh, people come to lawyers, it's very often, uh, particularly with litigation, which I don't do, but it's very often a, a grudge purchase. Nobody wakes up and says, well, let me go and have a meeting. I need more board. lawyers in my life. Exactly. Oh. You know? So and there, there are no shortage of lawyer jokes. So what is satisfying? People come to you when they have problems. And when you can find a solution for them, and particularly a win-win situation, I'm fortunate in that in commercial law, it's not a zero-sum game where um, if someone wins, someone loses. You can very often unlock value and create value. And that, that's satisfying when you can see that and when you can see, for instance, you start uh, with a client who had one small store and you've helped them protect their brand and they get up and they've now got 30 or 40 stores 10 years later. And you know you were involved in that. Uh, that's very satisfying. And, and I suppose also doing mergers and, and being able to help companies acquire other companies, you, you're building the economy. It, it is. It, it, it is very helpful to do that. It's, uh, you learn... Um, that it's about the people there, that mergers are not just glamorous, you know, sticking company A and company B, but they're real people, and there's a concern that some people can lose their jobs. But but with that, you can create more value, and you can grow jobs, mm-hmm. uh, particularly also turnaround work. I, I don't do liquidations, but uh, colleagues of mine in the firm do, and we were able to help uh, quite a large retail group last year avoid liquidation and restructure their debts and make agreements with their creditors, and they were able to turn the corner. This is called business rescue. I hope Ed Connor listening. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> Fluxman's attorneys. Yeah, we've got someone who you can uh, come and knock on the door of here. And, and we're not just victimizing poor old Ed Con. They just happened to be in the news this week. Yeah, Ed, got, Ed Con is a sad example of venture capital. And, uh, you know, it was flying high, but unfortunately when you have uh, – these venture capitalists acquire companies like Edcon. They unfortunately tend to strip them out and use the proceeds of the company itself to pay for the acquisition, and generally the employees suffer. Yeah. Uh, what is it, 12,000 people who work for them or something even more? It's a very frightening number. Terrifying. Um, you've also been at a number of other firms, so I'd like to know, since you're at Fluxman's now, what it is about this firm that makes you want to stay? So I was at my first firm for 10 years, and we were part of a merger. But And this, this merger has helped me advise clients. I've realized there's no such thing as a merger in reality. It's always an acquisition. Uh-huh. There's always a dominant force and uh, a force that's being acquired. Um, and the firm I was originally with was a medium-sized firm, and it became a large firm and joined with a global firm. And I decided I didn't want to be a, a drone in Sector 7G in one of these large law firms. You know? <laughs> Sector 7G, it sounds so industrial. <laughs> it, it's a, always a reference to Homer Simpson, uh, <laughs> where whenever Montgomery J. Burns asks Smithers, who's uh, Homer is, it's always a drone in Sector 7G. So, you know, I, I was looking Excellent. for a law firm that had a strong commercial uh, name and base, and there were 
good colleagues I could work with, and that's part of the enjoyment of law, that you can pop into a colleague's uh, office and, yes, you can have these very intellectual discussions, but you can also bounce ideas off because the interesting thing about law is that it's not just the same. It's not repetitive. Uh, there are always new matters, new facts, and you need to have that kind of intellectual discussion. So I, I didn't want to be on my own. I wanted to be at a firm where I could have that. And I certainly didn't want to be part of a global law firm. And Fluxman's is almost like a unicorn mm. in that it's a, a medium-sized firm uh, where partners have their independence, uh, but we all work together. And it's a very and friendly you can punch, atmosphere. And you can punch at the weight of the big firms. Certainly. We've, we've got the skills. We've got the expertise and the experience. Uh, we've also got a lot more flexibility, and we come in with smaller uh, numbers, in both in terms of our billing and the number of people. There are certain law firms, I won't name them, who are known to pack boardrooms with about six or seven lawyers when only one lawyer would, is necessary. Yeah. It's almost like uh, window dressing. It is. You know, in the, in the part, it's uh, to uh, provide their clients with the ego, look, these are my lawyers, and it's also very profitable. You've got huge buildings in Santa and you need to pay for. We won't mention names because you could pick and choose. Um, you mentioned earlier how it's, it's really quite a useful thing around here to just pop into other people's offices and, you know, either ask their opinion on something or I noticed that you are neighbors with, with Costa. And I noticed that you, when we walked out, you commented on how clean and tidy his office is as compared to yours. It's, it's, it's almost a showpiece. And you Correct. said that, that that could be an indication of, of some dangerous things. Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, a clean desk is uh, always the sign of a unsettled mind. I don't want to say a dirty mind. Uh, I remember as a child, my brother and I would go to my father's office. My father's an advocate. And he would say, boys, it's time to go. And then he would spend the next half hour cleaning his desk putting everything away so it was spotless. And it would infuriate my brother and I. And sadly, that has skipped a generation. I work to the last second, drop my papers, and leave the office. So my office is cluttered, but I have an amazing secretary, Melanie, who helps me and gets my administration in order. But uh, uh, being part of practice is you have a lot of matters on the go, sure. and you need to have the files available. Well, you mentioned Melanie, and it's it's nice to give credit to all the support staff here because there's an army of them who gets a lot of the stuff done that would, wouldn't make it possible for you to do your job if they didn't do it. But uh, we won't cast aspersions on Costa, right? Uh, not for now. Maybe after the recording is off. Okay, done. Well, there's a lawyer if ever you need one, Charles Anser. He even, uh, he even gave a recommendation to certain companies that might need his work, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people who would uh, reliably – Trust Charles to deal with anything. You've been listening to Fluxman's Attorneys for the Love of Law. For more information, go to fluxmans.com.